Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hello and welcome to another episode of the show. I'm really excited about today because something near and dear to my heart, which is the start of a fertility series. So we're looking today at PCOS, endometriosis, irregular periods, amenorrhea, so not having your period, birth control, and alternatives to fertility awareness and understanding your body and starting to hopefully trust it because I think that's the foundation of women's health, uh, anyone's health. Uh, Again, I have to preface this by saying I'm not a doctor, I'm just a regular woman trying to understand my body, trying to navigate all the changes that have happened with the introduction of birth control, with lots of environmental toxins, just trying to figure it out. Having had painful periods from 13, 14 years old, and now reading stories about girls starting to menstruate as early as six, this is just so important to me as a topic. And I think we need to know and trust our bodies better. Before we dive into that big topic and I'll do my best to be concise and just run through again this is an intro series I'm not a doctor so we're just trying to understand and scratch the surface hopefully do some interviews down the road with some doctors and hormonal specialists that can dig in even deeper but for anyone that's sort of not really aware of this new to this wanting to get into it a little bit this is for you before we start as I said so today I'm actually wearing a shirt from my charitable giving brand which I should do more often <laughs> um, so it says lead by example if you're not watching it's just a t-shirt it's 100% cotton and Leadwear, which is my brand supports charities right now we're supporting the Meta Center in Toronto we've also supported Girls Inc in the past the Ontario chapter but they're all over North America. And I started this brand really because I saw that lots of people were donating either directly from their salary with their employer or just independently to a random bunch of charities. But a lot of the times we don't know what impact our donations are making. And we often feel like a $20, $30, $50 donation won't actually do anything for the people that we want to help. It doesn't feel like it's enough. Or there are a lot of charities that explain this very clearly but they're helping people in different countries, a lot of them principally targeted to African countries. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But for me, I wanted to start locally, grassroots, at home, where I'm from, because I think that when we start with our local communities and fix and support the problems locally, then we can branch out and work on global issues. But we need to focus on what's in our backyard and help our neighbors. So Leadwear, that's my brand. We have it on the show notes. If you'd like a t-shirt, sweater, you're giving someone to something, giving someone something for their birthday or another occasion, this is your brand and you'll feel good about doing it. All profits go to different charities. Uh, we support different local charities that we find that have different needs and buying a shirt like this, even something is low, well, significant, but even $50 can send a girl to after school summer camp with Girls Inc., for example, or help sustain programming for the Meta Center, which helps people with special needs and any kind of learning disabilities. So really powerful stuff. Any purchase helps with mugs. And I really love it if you supported us and got some cool merch out of it. So that is my ad of the day, I suppose, in terms of stuff that I'm working on. 
Oh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also some of the programming I do. So I do have a period secrets course and also a woman's wisdom accelerator where we focus on really getting in touch with our, our womanhood, our wisdom, our internal wisdom as women. So links to that are also in the show notes if you want more and if you want to engage with this content and me more personally, that's how you can do it. So diving in, as I said, I have personal with experience, pain, and interest in furthering the awareness and understanding of this topic. What's interesting about a lot of the issues we're seeing today is that they're quite foundationally rooted in the same things from what my research says. I have linked to all of the, at least the sources that I've most immediately used. I think I've learned from so many different people online, doctors, I've seen naturopaths and conventional hormonal specialists myself. So I feel like this is, you know, around 20 years, oh my God, almost 20 years in the making of me doing research and figuring out, okay, and piecing together, what is my body trying to tell me with the super painful periods or blood clots or, um, you know, back aches or problems with my skin or weight gain or trouble losing weight or gosh, painful breasts or PMS, emotional, like mood swings, all that. What's it trying to tell me? And how do I regulate it? What can I do? There's so much conflicting advice. So let, let's dive in to at least scratching the surface and understanding this. So um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is something that's been on the rise. There are four main root causes that I've been able to determine. Um, so there's an insulin-related PCOS that has to do with insulin dysregulation. It means your blood sugar can be not only high, but lots of spikes in your blood sugar. So it means, you know, eating, let's say, a sundae or a chocolate bar and not pairing it with something else. What's interesting is this does also relate to or not necessarily spur on, but it's related to gestational diabetes. So when you're pregnant, you can also get into an issue of insulin dysregulation, not necessarily causing ovarian cysts. What's interesting in both cases is this elevated blood sugar, and it has to do with our hormones. Of course, all of this, anything we talk about today is hormone related. And so what I've learned, the advice right off the bat for insulin regulation is there's something called myo-inositol. People take, and again, this is, <laughs> this is just an option, but looking into myo-inositol around 2000 milligrams a day something else you can look at is pairing food. So anybody with diabetes or high blood sugar, what's said, and often people are like, okay, so now I can't eat fruit or like, what's the severity of this? I think that what I found so far is fasting is not a good plan for people that have dysregulated blood sugar. So the whole craze right now, fasting can really mess up your hormones, especially as a woman, especially if you're trying to conceive or you're having this type of dysregulation or if you're pregnant, really not a good plan. So I think the end all be all of micro um, autophagy for trying to trigger that very limited research. Again, I'm not an expert, but I would warn against fasting. If you are having insulin dysregulation, it could be, you know, feeling faint when you get up in the morning, headaches, feeling dizzy, um, nausea, even sometimes, which is pregnancy related, or can just be if your blood sugar is low and you're not pregnant, but you're having these issues. Um, difficulty losing weight, kind of really big mood swings too. If you don't eat, like feeling really out of whack is because your blood sugar is going up and plummeting, rocking, you know, plummeting down. So insulin regulation using myonositol or pairing. So it would be not only having 
carbs, fats, and proteins, but it's actually said that the order in which you eat those foods in a meal matters. So if you can eat the vegetables, the fats, and the protein before you eat the carbs on a plate, even just in that, in a changing the order up. So leaving the carbs, leaving the starchy stuff for last in a meal can make a huge difference into that spike and the continued spike over time of the glucose in your blood. Also, people think that eating before bed is problematic. It can actually help to level out your glucose levels if you're somebody that's dysregulated. So eating smaller meals more often does help to balance blood sugar if you're in this position. And avoiding carbs is historically the advice. So take that as you may. I mean, I think all of us know now processed foods, additional sugars, artificial sweeteners, all of it's just bad, not just to say for hormones, but overall, I think our toxic load, our chemical burden, the chemicals we're exposed to every day, already so high that really it makes sense to cut these things out if you can. And they're everywhere, which is crazy. Another thing that, well, we'll get to this in point three. (laughs) So for insulin, we're talking about regulating blood sugar through regular meals. Maybe myonositol is a supplement looking into that. Um, and seeing how you compare when you eat something. Oh, and the last thing also around insulin regulation has seemed to be having walking after a meal. Some people are saying even as low as 10 minutes after a meal can be beneficial. I've read some studies that just looked at um, a one hour walk versus a two hour walk after a meal. And the two hour walk seemed to lower the glucose more than the one hour walk. So, I mean, I I don't know how practical it is for us to be walking after every single meal if we're eating multiple meals a day. Although if you look at the blue zones and longevity studies, those kinds of places and cultures often are walking as a part of their day. And that's why we see even in Europe or more walkable cities or walkable places, people just walk because they have to get places they don't drive. So it seems to be a huge influence walking after meals. As little as 10 minutes seems to help, um, but if you can do more, of course, more is better in the walking department. And it seems to work for a bunch of age groups and physical levels or physical activity levels, which I think is important. Not everybody wants to go for a five mile run after lunch. So that's insulin related PCOS. There's also pill induced. Um, that might be controversial, but that's what I've read. Um, you're meant to check for luteinizing hormone and prolactin levels. If you're having issues and have noticed cysts from pill-related usage, so birth control-related usage. Um, Of course, diagnosing PCOS is kind of tough. Ultrasounds will show if you have a bunch of cysts around your ovaries, on your ovaries, in your ovaries. So um, I think the ultrasound is perhaps the diagnostic, how you can tell. Um, But you also might have, as we mentioned earlier, some of those other symptoms, maybe hair growth, which is um, hirsutism. I don't know if I say that right. But essentially, it's hair growth around your mouth and chin. So kind of that like we grandma kind of hair growth that we see when older women start growing hair around those areas, um, not just for older women these days, and has to do with um, potentially PCOS, not just for, from the pill, but um, that condition. But if you have just gone off birth control, or if you're on it and noticing some of these issues, might need to look at prolactin, luteinizing hormone, could be out of whack, probably out of whack because it's a synthetic hormone being added to your system. So of course there's going to be an impact versus being natural, right? 
Number three is inflammatory PCOS. So that can be from uh, environmental factor, factors, toxins, heavy metals, plastics, especially, and BPA-free is not enough. People seem to think that if it doesn't have BPA, it's okay. Plastic is plastic is plastic, especially heating foods in plastic, storing foods in plastic, canned foods. There, there's just so much research out there around even if you eat canned foods, like let's say canned soup twice a week, your risk of diabetes goes up because of the insulin dysregulation and then inflammation. Canned foods are just a no-no overall if you can, unless of course they're canned in let's say a glass jar, but those cans that say they have BPA-free lining, not good enough. It's just not. So um, the, it seems to be that the devil is in the details with all of this hormonal dysregulation and really the answer is cutting out pretty much everything, which I know is hard, a huge lifestyle shift maybe frustrating, maybe annoying, but I mean, it's worth it considering all of the pharmaceutical interventions or, um, and diet and lifestyle interventions you'll have to make if you go down this road and have some of these diagnoses anyway. So it just makes sense if you're maybe not having period issues or you have some of this, but it's not severe. Um, the only way I've resolved these issues is by pretty much cutting out as much artificial stuff as possible in all realms. That leads me to beauty and cleaning products. So anything scented, um, seeing my mom's house, it's like scented garbage bags, scented dishwashers, dish soap, um, fragrances. So cologne, perfume, anything like that, scented candles, scented lotion, soaps, anything scented. It's usually natural artificial flavors or scents, perfume, no good, hugely disrupting to the endocrine system. It's messing with your hormones don't do it. Bed, bath, body works is just not the answer to anything. And it's so readily available. We get it as gifts. I understand the allure when the price is reasonable, but there's a reason the price is low and you can use different things. I, for example, use coconut oil. I used beef tallow on my skin and just buy it. So no, no fancy brand needed, but if you look at even the most expensive skincare products, expensive makeup, oftentimes they're just more chemicals in them than that benefit you. Even some of the touted health brands, they'll have different minerals and iron oxides in them for pigmentation, like mascaras and different powders and things. Not worth it, in my opinion. Um, pretty well, anything from Sephora, unfortunately, is probably not going to work unless it's like water. And even that, don't even get me started. Water is a whole other topic around um, chlorine and fluorides and different heavy metals that can be present in your water. Water filtration is a, another huge topic. If you're having inflammation that leads to PCOS or just about any other health condition, inflammation is often the root cause and it's disruption in your body. Your water quality is important. And then you're, if you're drinking it out of plastic bottles, now we're layering, we're layering heavy metals and toxins with potentially compromised mineral content, which you actually need. And then it's in plastic. So it's like this triple, triple edged sword, double whammy. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then if you have inflammatory PCOS or if you have inflammation overall, which most of us seem to nowadays, just as a, I guess, set point or standard gut support seems to be a big win. So the conventional is take a probiotic. Actually, I had no luck with probiotic pills and spent way too much money. I think probiotics like yogurt, if you can stomach it 
or fermented foods, if you can stomach them, are amazing to repopulate the gut. And you're getting trillions of healthy bacteria in yogurt. If you have issues with milk yogurt, there's goat's yogurt, sheep's yogurt. But again, you can use kefir or there are other fermented kimchi, sauerkraut. There are other fermented products that really help to repopulate the gut. And it's so important so that you have strong bacteria in there and can reduce the inflammation from, let's say, those artificial sugars, sweeteners, chemicals. You have to repopulate with the good stuff. And there's so, it's just so much more potent than a probiotic that has maybe 5 billion, even, even the intense ones, it's like 50 billion, 60 billion, 75 billion, nowhere near the trillions that you're getting in, in yogurt. So that's my thought there. Number four is hidden PCOS. Seems to be sort of a catch-all, can be adrenal related. So elevated DEHAs has to do with testosterone. Um, a big thing there would be to reduce stress. We're all very aware that our modern lifestyle is stressful. Sleep is a huge factor in all of this that we're going to talk about. So sleep and stress, we hear it time and time again. It really matters. There's no way around it. There's no shortcut. Pills and supplements can do so much. But making your lifestyle, figuring out a way, and I know it's hard if you have kids, you have a job, you have a social life or health challenges, like if there's so much in the way and so many different excuses or issues or true impediments to good sleep, but it just has to be the number one thing in your life or else you can't show up for other people, your health, your body can't rejuvenate. It's a losing battle if we don't focus on sleep. There's a book actually called Why We Sleep, maybe of interest. My husband really loves it. I never read it. He seems to think it's great, but I just know that I'm not a nice person if I don't sleep enough. So the proof is in the pudding for me. When I sleep well, I feel better. That's seven to nine hours a night. It has to be in complete darkness is the idea. You can use an eye mask if you're in a place where street lights or things come into play. Complete silence or as close to silence as you can get is important for deep sleep. And also the temperature. So if you're super hot or overheating in your bed, too many blankets, or if you can open a window, if you live in a hot place, I get it. Believe me, summers in Northern Brazil, very little relief. I mean, sleeping naked helps, but man, if you're in a hot place, I totally get it. Cold showers help to bring down your body temperature, but trying to be in a cool, dark place is really helpful to bring in a deep level of sleep. So that's that. Um, can also be zinc iodine deficiency. So that's again, hidden PCOS we're talking about. Um, happens amongst vegetarians and vegans most, but of course can be anyone. Iodine comes from seaweed, um, probably other places that I don't know about, but I just know seaweed off the top of my head. But I would look into that if you are vegetarian or vegan and having these issues. Zinc is another big one. Oysters for sure. Zinc. There are other, I know different, I know meat like beef definitely has zinc and I think eggs has some level of it, but you can look up a list. I can also maybe link to a list, but zinc and iodine deficiency can be an issue here. Thyroid just seems to be the catch-all. Test your thyroid. The challenge with thyroid testing and all of this testing, and there's this whole sort of, and I'm not, I'm not saying to blindly test, take supplements without testing. I think it's important to test if you think you're low in something. The challenge for me around supplements is you take something. Someone says, okay, so most Canadians, most people in Northern climates are vitamin D deficient take vitamin D, it'll fix your vitamin D issue. Big challenge is how much of that are you absorbing? What else is implicated or impacted by taking vitamin D? Vitamin D is actually a hormone. What else happens when you just start putting in vitamin D? 
does it get absorbed and what else is it imp- impacting? So I'm just wary when it's like, oh, just take this and this and this and this. Whoa. And what's the form of that vitamin is another question, right? So is that coming from a, a food? Is that a food-based source of, of that nutrient or is it or vitamin or mineral or is it synthetic? What does that do? How do we absorb it? Is it the absorbable form? Is it the bioavailable form of zinc, for example, of, and with zinc, in particular, there's this concern with taking zinc alone. It depletes copper without enough copper. Zinc actually can wreak havoc in your body. So what I understand and limited understanding, but there's just so much more to be said about this. You can't just supplement one thing. People just kind of start supplementing random stuff. I have done it. And it's just so problematic because it's our bodies are so it's our whole body. You take one supplement. It's not just impacting your fingernails, like, you know, and, and I find that taking zinc with copper, my fingernails get stronger, but so it's not just impacting that one thing. It's like your whole system is impacted and there are all these different intermingled interactions. So I just I'm very wary of the supplementation these days. I would caution against any supplementation before really understanding what is all at play. And sometimes testing can sort of lead to quick judgments, especially thyroid testing, which often only tests let's say T4, T3, TSH, maybe, but it's not comprehensive. And you can look online if you really want to see, there's so many different markers for checking thyroid thyroid functionality that um, if you're working with a professional, I would really check in and see, okay, what are you testing to determine my thyroid function? Because three markers are just not enough and might lead to, you can, incomplete results and then incomplete treatment plans as a result of those incomplete results. Same thing actually with iron. So a bit of an aside, but if you are told that you're anemic or you have low iron, there's a whole body of research now looking at that and how anemia is constantly diagnosed. And actually an issue can be that you don't actually want high ferritin, which is the way they measure for iron. You don't actually want high ferritin levels in your blood. Um, Apparently you don't want it circulating around and there can actually, a lot of us are apparently overloaded with iron and have it stored in our tissues in our body, which can lead to oxidative stress, which a lot of us have oxidation. It's like internal rusting, if you will. I mean, (laughs) sorry for the imagery, but essentially too much iron is not actually a good thing. And a lot of us have it and it's just not in the bloodstream. And then we're considered low again, back to the precursors or interactions. I've also been reading research that talks about how, um, low iron in your blood or low ferritin levels can actually be linked to low vitamin A. People will supplement with beta carotene, which is what you'd find in, let's say, a carrot, but that's less bioavailable and less absorbable than than retinol palmitate, which is vitamin A from meat sources only, animal sources only. Fortunately or unfortunately, it's just what it is. It's a fact. So that's a challenge. And that's why we see, and when I went vegetarian for a year and why we see in vegetarians, anemia being diagnosed often uh, because of that low iron, because it's just harder to get heme. There's heme and non-heme iron. So this is, so vitamin A is also more bioavailable in the animal product form, but then there's also iron. Yeah. Then there's also the iron side, which is heme and non-heme iron. Non-heme iron is the format coming from plants, also less bioavailable. So if you're only getting iron from plants and vitamin A from plants, you're not capitalizing the most bioavailable sources of both vitamin A, which is the precursor and to the iron. So these two things work together. Both of them, if you're not getting them from animal sources, really causing problems. That's why we're seeing issues in vegetarians with anemia. 
it's just something to consider. You make your dietary choices. I have tried everything under the sun. I feel like when it comes to diet and I'm not judging anyone for what they do, I'm just pointing to what it is I've been reading, what I feel better doing. That's a huge indicator. And what has resolved my issues. And I had low iron when I was vegetarian. So do with that what you will. I am not saying I did or was a perfect vegetarian or that you can't do it healthily. I'm just saying, I think it's really hard, or at least it was really hard for me. And I found, I found myself with a lot of health challenges after a year of being vegetarian. So another thing could be that for hidden PCOS is to remove processed soy and artificial sweeteners can really throw you off. Um, and I already mentioned the adrenal side. So elevated DHAs and then really needing to reduce stress, potentially being a factor in adrenal fatigue and elevated testosterone, which can lead to the cysts. Okay. <laughs> Topic number two, I, I've, you can see I'm passionate about this and I get on a tear, but I've just been reading about this for, like I've said, literally, let's say the past 10 years, this is all I've been doing is trying to resolve this health issue for myself. And I'm finally in a place where I have, and it's just so debilitating. And if you're going through it, God, my heart is with you. I know, I know it, it sucks. And it's just, and the, and the biggest thing about it, I think if any of these like women's health reproductive challenges is if it is isolated to, let's say just your period being really, really painful and the other symptoms are like sort of manageable, but kind of not having to be optimal. It's so easy to just fluff it off because we have other things to worry about. So if you're kind of not sleeping well, you're kind of tired, you kind of have brain fog, you just drink coffee, get over it, drink alcohol on the weekends, feel sluggish, have another coffee, whatever. I'm tired, but I'll be fine. If it worked for you in your early or is working for you in your early twenties, you're like, whatever, just <laughs> leave me alone. It works. It's my way of dealing. Um, I get it. I did it. <laughs> I did it. So I can't even say anything. The challenge is that, um, I think when you get to a point where you do want to have kids, if that's what you want, all of this is so cumulative, just like everything else in the body. And we can turn it around, but hormonal experts say to prepare to try to conceive for like six months to a year before you have a kid. But if you've been on birth control in let's say all of your twenties, and then you're 30 wanting to have a kid, then you need to spend another year detoxing from the birth control. Who knows what the long-term effects of 10 years of birth control are. Some studies are coming out now after birth control being on the market for like 50 years. Um, you know, so what are those long-term effects? And then you have to detox and then, you know, does your period come back right away? Are you having issues? Do you develop PCOS as a result of being off birth control? Like it, it's just, I feel like we only think about the immediate in healthcare. We're very symptom driven and we're just not being preventative. We're not being proactive. We're not thinking about, okay, I'm going on birth control to solve this issue, but is it even the root cause or am I masking symptoms? And then what's going to happen to me when I go off of it? You know, it's the same thing. I've seen it with people that I've spoken with that have issues with either rheumatoid arthritis or sinus issues where they'll be given corticosteroids or some sort of steroidal, like a nasal spray or injections. It's not, it's just reducing the inflammation and masking the issue and not getting to the root cause. So my whole investigation into this topic has been very root cause related. Um, because I just think that's the only way we can actually get back to homeostasis in our body, actually get back to that balance. Again, just a, just a girl, just a lady trying to figure this out. 
with multiple health professionals and multiple stories and clients and people working with female entrepreneurs and women and young women students and just seeing how pervasive of an issue this is friends there's something that we need to do about it and i just think more pharmaceuticals is probably not the answer to what we need to do about the fact that um, just all of these different external influences are impacting our ability to naturally heal and naturally be okay in our bodies. So next is amenorrhea or irregular periods. If your periods are 24 days, then 34 days, then 40 days, then 21 days. Um, there are different reasons for, let's say, a shorter period versus a longer period. You might not be ovulating. You might have a shorter luteal phase, which is the second phase of your cycle. Lots of reasons around it. Some of the mineral or vitamin reasons why you might be missing your period, which interestingly, interestingly enough correlate with birth control usage um, are low zinc, low vitamin D, which has been linked to actually low magnesium. So magnesium being the, the precursor for vitamin D synthesis in the body. So both of those folic acid, calcium, and iron, any of those being low can lead to low to irregular or no periods and no ovulation. Um, on a hormonal level, we're talking estrogen and progesterone dysregulation, but why is that happening? I think is the question. We kind of understand that our hormones need to be in proper balance and relation to each other and shifting throughout our cycle normally. And if they're not, then we're seeing the irregular or no periods as a result. Um, it can be caused by birth control. Of course, when you're on birth control, you're not having a regular period unless you stop the pills and then you might have a light bleed. Um, We've seen people come off the pill, not have a period for six months. So it can be just so dysregulated in your body that you're not ovulating and your body's not shedding that endometrial lining. Another one, insufficient protein and fats. So that can be any diet. I'm not just trying to single out vegetarians or vegans by any means. It's just the composition of you're eating a lot of carbs, but you're not, which again can lead to, again, that insulin dysregulation. Fats really slow down the absorption of insulin in the body as well as protein. So really looking at, okay, what is on my plate? What's the kind of makeup of my plate? And I think the regular food pyramid really points to carbs and grains in particular way more than, than protein and fats. And it just seems to be not suboptimal for women's health, at least and hormonal health and fertility. Stress again, and irregular sleep can definitely lead to this along with um, excessive Exercise or working out, women's bodies are different from men's bodies. Shocker, it just is. <laughs> we're just different. We have different levels of hormones and it's fantastic. I think it's great that we're different. We're both lovely creatures and I love both men and women very much. But from a biological standpoint, this is not talking about gender identity. We're not going there. I'm, we're not going down that rabbit hole. I'm just speaking specifically from a, you were born a boy or you were born a girl perspective and what happens hormonally speaking, um, women just need, they have different needs from what we said earlier around fasting, from sleep and from stress levels. Now that's not to say, I'm not going down and saying, okay, now women shouldn't work or shouldn't have any of these stress. I mean, absolutely not. And over generations, I've seen women do phenomenal things. And I'm the first one to say women should absolutely go after what they want. No questions asked. What I am saying is excessive stress, excessive exercise, and lack of sleep will definitely, definitely proven time and time again, impact your fertility, impact your hormones, and 
if you want to be healthy and thriving from a hormonal perspective and thus from a vitality and even strength perspective in the female body, your period is such a great litmus test for how your body is doing in detoxification, how the organ systems are working, your liver, your kidneys, it's all, it's all so interrelated. So your period is such a great litmus test. And if you're having problems with your period month and month and month again, over and over and over for years and years, something needs to change. It's not supposed to be that way. And interestingly enough, some people do report if they have a really stressful month, let's say they lose their job or they move or they're traveling a lot or anything kind of out of the ordinary, often that cycle is different, can be worse, can be different. If certain, or if you go on vacation during a certain cycle, then that period can be better. I've definitely I've talked with women with endometriosis where it's directly related to their stress. Uh, not only, right? I'm not trying to oversimplify, but literally the cycle will be 10 times better when they're out of the environment that's triggering, not just chemicals, but I mean, emotional and physical environment that seems to be triggering the inflammation and this issue in their body. So when they go on vacation or they get out of, let's say their parents' house or a poor relationship that's not nourishing them and harsh or criticizing there's an emotional layer to, I think, all of this that really needs to be looked at because there's no question if you're stressed, that comes from what you're thinking in your mind. So how can we possibly say that that's not affecting heart rate and hormone secretion and sleep patterns? We all know the feeling of when we're super stressed and we can't get to sleep at night because of the stress, because of the emotions, because of what we're thinking, turning into emotions, turning into chemical secretions from our brain signaling to our body, hey, we're not safe. We're not okay. Something's going on. Prepare for war. Prepare for battle, right? Danger, danger. And that can be emotional or physical danger. So, yeah, I, I think we really need to look at our emotional environments when it comes to some of this as well. Um, so, stress, sleep, regular sleep. And um, of course, as we mentioned earlier, environmental um, chemicals or toxins. So, yes, your emotional environment, but also all of those beauty cleaning product recommendations I made earlier definitely factor in here and then again the thyroid so um, from a thyroid testing perspective as I said check to get a full thyroid panel done there's also uh, luteinizing hormone again prolactin estrogen uh, progesterone and then testosterone and androgen so checking out what the hormonal landscape is there's the dutch test that's meant to be quite comprehensive. It is pricey, not always covered by insurance. If you work with a, an alternative practitioner, they'll probably do it and interpret it for you. Um, so that's something. If, some, if you're looking for a practitioner and they work with the Dutch test, seems to be a bit of a litmus test for that practitioner if they're actually thorough. Um, but again, can be pricey and working with um, you know naturopathic doctors or alternative practitioners, I, I get it. It's, it's a lot, especially, you know, if insurance isn't covering you and it's just not accessible to most people. So, and, and I know the fatigue as well of having worked with feeling like you've worked with everyone, feeling like the natural options don't work. They give you 30 different supplements. Again, back to the supplement question, right? And you just feel overwhelmed, too many pills, not seeing results. How am I going to have to take 30 pills a day for the rest of my life? Um, and then more and more testing, not seeing the regulation back. So I, I think that whether it's you've worked with a lot of providers and you don't like who you've worked with, you know, in the conventional system or um, naturopathic options, alternative options, or if you're kind of just frustrated with um, 
let's say, not seeing results from those options and don't perhaps have the funds, whatever your situation, I think a lot of these changes really do help. And I've seen people who also say, no, I've tried every supplement. I've eliminated gluten and dairy and sugars. And like, I've just been so good and so careful. Nothing is working. I think to that, I say, what's your sleep? What's your emotional situation? What is happening in your environment? So emotionally and chemically speaking, additives and such. And just because you eliminate gluten, if you're eating a bunch of really processed gluten-free options, not going to help. If you're not having enough protein and fats, not going to help just because you're eating potatoes instead of pasta, let's say, or gluten-free pasta instead of regular pasta. There's a whole other plethora of research and conversation around seed oils, inflammatory seed oils, which are in lots of gluten-free and regular conventional products, sunflower oil, principally canola oil, hugely inflammatory. So if you're having inflammatory issues, which can lead to endometriosis or inflammatory PCOS or autoimmune conditions, one of the big things can be seed oils as an inflammatory problem, chemical, chemicals, oils. Um, Also related is potentially glyphosate exposure, which can be triggering to celiac disease. So looking at if you are eating grains, where are those grains coming from? Organic seems to be lower in glyphosate than, which is like Roundup. It's essentially pesticide, um, which has been linked to gut issues, which can lead to some of these issues as well. So just, it's so important to look at what we're putting in our bodies, on our bodies, around our bodies, um, emotionally, the nourishment that we are getting. And I think if we all started there, for six months, there would be definite symptom reduction, if not elimination, and not look, not undermining the emotional component. So if you're in a really bad home situation with whatever could be um, toxic male relationships, toxic patterns with males, that's not to be discounted when it comes to not being in alignment with your feminine wisdom or your feminine system, or if you feel like you're in a job that's extremely masculine either either male dominated or you feel you have to exhibit male traits masculine traits um, there's something to be said about not being in your body in yourself in your needs um, again the sensation to go after that male male dominated job or industry it's just to say how do you play within that game in that system as yourself with your needs make it work for you how do you do that might be a big difficult question but i think it's one worth asking Um, the final two sections. So I want to touch upon birth control and then some natural alternatives for, um, cycle tracking or looking at eliminating birth control and what you can do instead. So birth control, what's the issue? I mean, it seems to be a good idea in theory. It's helped women not have to get pregnant and then bear the consequences of that children. Um, seems to be a good idea in theory. The challenge is it's synthetic hormones in our system that are messing with the natural ebbs and flows of our system. It's essentially tricking your body into thinking it's pregnant. And that's a problem for your body to think it's pregnant for 10 years straight. Uh, It can lead to a lot of issues with conceiving and having kids after you get off of it. So I think again, it's sort of this funny thing where the idea is good. 
the premise of women being able to have more of a choice about when they get pregnant or how often they get pregnant. Do they want to get pregnant? I think putting the, the power in the hands of women as a woman, I'm not saying that that's wrong. What I am saying is perhaps the delivery method, the way that we're going about preventing women from getting pregnant is being called into question or I'm calling it into question. So not someone to say you shouldn't have access to ways to, let's say, not put yourself in a precarious position, but that the way birth control as a solution might be, probably, not might be, probably is doing more harm than good. So why? Well, again, synthetic hormones over long periods of time, really fooling your body into thinking it's some in a certain process or in a certain state that it's technically not. Um, it does also deplete some very core vitamins and minerals that over sustained usage can lead to some of these issues. And we talked about some of these earlier as being related to PCOS and irregular periods. What does birth control deplete? Magnesium, which as we know, can also lead to low vitamin D, which was related to that irregular period section we just talked about. Zinc, folic acid, vitamin B12, vitamin E, and then some additional ones that we see, vitamin B1, B2, B3, vitamin C, and selenium. So really big ones. And then it's funny because if you work with um, a fertility specialist or you look at someone that helps with hormones um, or women's health, what's very interesting is whether you're on birth control or not, if you're having trouble conceiving or if you're having issues, um, first thing is probably the blood sugar regulation. Second thing, they will put you on a, a cocktail of supplements that will be vitamin C, vitamin E, B vitamins, if not just B12 at the very least, folate, folic acid, um, and oftentimes magnesium. So, you know, I'm sitting here looking at this list of what does birth control deplete? And literally all the things that birth control depletes are what fertility specialists will have you supplement. Um, and I mean, I, I did take birth control many, many years ago on and off. Um, and stopped because it made me feel absolutely emotionally crazy. <laughs> did not work for my body in any way, physically or mentally. Just didn't work with my mental health. Did not like it whatsoever. I hear a lot of women having issues with um, just mood swings, really altering the way that they feel, uh, sometimes into depression or anxiety, really big issues, um, which as I, I read a, a recent, recently I read a study also about how um, sustained birth control use also doesn't deplete serum serotonin levels, which has to do with your happiness. So if you're somebody that already has potentially low serum um, serotonin levels, and then this lowers it even further, if you didn't, and it, it can really mess with your happiness, <laughs> even after you've taken it, and which is problematic. And again, I was just blown away by this list of what it depletes and literally the direct correlation of, here's what you should supplement when you work with me with these hormone regulating or fertility specialists. It's a, it's a, an item for item list, vitamin C, vitamin E, B12, folate or folic acid, zinc, magnesium, selenium, and then vitamin B1, B2, B3. So a lot of people are on a vitamin B um, supplement. Vitamin B is directly correlated to or depleted levels of vitamin B directly correlated to stress levels. Also not having enough Fats and protein, especially protein, animal-based protein. Meat has a lot of B vitamins, amongst other things. So it's just, it's very hard to not see correlation in this when literally the issue, the reasons for the issue, the nutrient issues, the nutrient reasons for that issue, PCOS or irregular periods, and then 
birth control, what it depletes. They're the same list. And then fertility doctors as a solution to these issues, fertility doctors are saying literally take this laundry list of things that correlate specifically to exactly what it is that's depleted from that. So you decide, um, look into the research yourself, see what it depletes. And if you're on birth control and you're happy with it, at the very least, I would recommend improving your diet to increase these substances um, and or supplementing with some whole food versions or bioavailable versions of these vitamins, for example, methylfolate versus just folic acid, um, methylated B vitamins, especially B12, um, zinc and magnesium both work better in the biglycinate format for whatever reason, they're chelated vitamins. Um, yeah, some of those vitamin C also don't just take absorbic acid, take a whole food vitamin C supplement. There are, at least in the States, they have some cheaper varieties where it's like a powder and it's just made from either amla berry or acerola, very high in vitamin C. Of course, you can also just eat oranges or citrus fruits, but um, you know, really they're wanting you to have like a thousand milligrams a day and not everybody gets that from their diet. So just some of these things, there's also um, these mineral drops that seem to be really useful um, for just improving minerals trace minerals that are meant to be in our water and in our food supply that have been quite depleted from soil the way that we're farming. I'd like to spend the last few minutes on the options that you have. If you do want to get off of birth control, um, there will be some detoxing happening. It might take you months to get back to normal. It might spring back very quickly, in which case I'm very happy for you if it does. Um, if you're having issues and you went on birth control because of those issues, acne, endometriosis, painful periods, know that there are ways to get rid of your painful periods without having to be on birth control. And truly it, there are, um, that's where my painful periods course comes in. Of course you can work with anyone you want, just make sure that they are, that their philosophy and their approach is aligned with your values and the types of solutions or interventions that you want to use. Do you want to be on pharmaceuticals or other synthetic products? Do you want to be on supplements? Do you want to change your lifestyle? What are you willing to do and then work with a practitioner whose treatment plan is related to what it is you're willing to do to make changes and to fix this in your life. I see that so often people just go to someone they're either recommended or think they should. And it's like, yeah, but if you're not going to follow their advice or if you don't trust them or if their approach is not in alignment with what you want to do with your body, then I waited a year to see a hormonal specialist um, after my car accident around hormone, specifically hormone treatment and regulation after brain trauma, I waited a year. And then his answer was a ketogenic diet, one, a bunch of supplements too. So both were in alignment with what it was that I was willing to do. And then number three for the painful periods was just take birth control. And that's where we really didn't see eye to eye. And that's important. If you're working with someone and they're not testing what you want them to test, they're not taking your symptoms seriously, or they're giving you treatment options that don't align with you and then not giving you alternatives to that. If you say, okay, well, I'm not willing to go on birth control. What else can we do? And they have no answer or they say dig Tylenol, which by the way, well, their story depletes glutathione, really challenging on people's livers. They say you can take it during pregnancy. I personally wouldn't. Tylenol can be really problematic, um, which is probably for another episode. Which, and again, I think this links back to what I said in the beginning of this episode, which is, hey, no matter what you do, whether it's a natural supplement, it's a cream that you put on your body, it's something you eat, it's a pharmaceutical drug, 
there's so many interactions happening in our body because our body is just so complex and fascinating, like miraculous. And we don't even understand it all. No scientist, no doctor understands how every drug interacts with every single system in our body because how could they? I mean, so many of these drugs are less than 100 years old. And there aren't studies looking at the interactions of exactly what it is that you're taking. So, you know, it's, it's a science, which means that it continuously changes, evolves, and is being put into question and conclusions change. And so you've really got to do for your body what it is that you think is best for your body and be your own advocate, really, <laughs> no matter what kind of professional you work with. That's what I've learned from a let's say value or philosophical component of how do you approach your treatment plan. Um, I think you've really got to be in alignment with your practitioner's philosophies and feel that they trust in their approach and their method. So what are your options if you don't want to be on birth control and you don't want to get pregnant right now? Great question. So there is fertility awareness methods. They're natural methods. Of course, can use different barriers, but again, remember an I like a copper IUD or any of these patches or rings, all of it is altering your hormones. Um, condoms are obviously an option. They're not foolproof, but when it comes to you understanding your body better and wanting to track and understand the ebbs and flows of your cycle, these are some options. Um, so under the cycle tracking or fertility awareness method, there are a few ways to go about it. There's um, temperature method, which is basal body temperature. You're essentially taking your temperature every morning. There's, um, what's it called? Natural cycles. It's an app. There are a lot of apps out there now. I, I found it to be very, how can I say annoying? I didn't like, I found it to be very destructive to my day. Like I didn't, I just didn't like that first thing in the morning. It's very finicky. If you didn't sleep enough, if you have a different wake up time every morning, if you're stressed, if like it's, it's so, so the, the changes in temperature are very slight and it takes a while for the system to get to know your body. There's a whole other layer of if you want to be inputting data into an app every day, right? So I'd say you can also track on paper, obviously, and you will get to know your body. And I did start seeing some changes. Um, I didn't love this method, but it is an option. Um, you can find more info and I'll post a link, but even Planned Parenthood talks about these methods as does the American Oh gosh, I'm going to butcher it. American Pregnancy Association, I think. They're, they're different big organizations that talk about fertility awareness methods and these topics. So definitely this isn't like some alternative out there thing. These methods are actually proven and um, natural cycles, I know it's pretty certain has been approved for use by the FDA as a, an approved source uh, method of birth control. So just so you know, we're not talking woo-woo out there stuff. Another one is to chart on your calendar. So lots of tracking apps, right? Just saying, okay, so you understand if you have a 28 day cycle, you're most likely ovulating on day 14. There is variability there. You can of course get pregnant, let's say around five days before you ovulate. And if you ovulate a few days late, you know, there's a 24 hour window after you ovulate that you can get pregnant. So like it's kind of a big window. If you don't want to be abstinent during that time, can be kind of complicated, especially if it shifts due to stress or travel, or if you have irregular periods, that one might not be for you, but it is tracking via or charting via calendar. Um, Planned Parenthood does, does say that if you use two or more of these methods, that the accuracy level goes up, that not the accuracy, the effectiveness of these methods for birth control go up. So it can get up to um, 
it says around 88% effectiveness, even higher again, if you're using two methods or more. Um, the one I really love and just want to spend a minute on and then we'll wrap up is the cervical mucus method or tracking. Um, I, it can seem a bit gross or personal or weird, um, but it's just been the most accurate for me. And I know, I, I just know when I'm ovulating, like there's, there's no question in my mind. I know the day I ovulate. I, so I know the window. I just like, I know, <laughs> um, which might sound weird, but essentially there are ways to check whether your cervix is a higher low position and whether it's softened and opened, which would mean that you're ovulating because then you're open for business. Let's say you're open for um, sperm to go up into the fallopian tubes and to try to find that egg if you are ovulating. Um, you're essentially checking your cervical mucus every day. I didn't check my cervix every day, but I got, so I did a couple of methods. So I started, I did the basal body temperature, didn't really like it, but did that for a few months. Um, had the calendar method. My cycle was extremely regular, like 28 days clockwork. So it worked. The, the calendar method alongside cervical mucus tracking or method, those two were the two for me um, in my search that I found work for me, but experiment, see what you like. Um, and essentially with that, you're tracking. So when you do ovulate, you will have more cervical mucus and then it'll dissipate. So the day that you have the most cervical mucus is your ovulation day, more or less. You might also feel it's called Mittelschmerz, which is very uh, beautiful German word for some pain. And, and sometimes you can even feel which side you're ovulating from. And what I say, what I would say I love about these methods, all three, um, is that you're really trusting in your body. You're trusting in your body. You're more aware of your body. I never, if you asked me 10 years ago, would have said that this would be how I, <laughs> how I track my cycle. I had no idea. I wish I did. I think more women are becoming aware of it now. Um, but it's just, it's natural. It follows the ebbs and flows of my cycle. It has worked for, for me. And um, again, when in doubt, if you're starting this method or, or if you have irregular periods, you're not really sure, um, you know, you do have a condom option that for that week or even the whole month, if you're just like, nope, don't want to take any chances. I think if you're doing using condoms alongside this, um, I think you'd be in good shape again as a regular woman, not a doctor, not having any medical training. <laughs> so that is where I'd like to leave it today. I'll put links as I said in the show notes. So please go, go for it and look into this stuff. Any of it that you've heard before or haven't heard before, if you find this valuable, I'd love for you to review, like subscribe. When you comment on things, when you review the show, it allows this show to be seen by more people and it makes all the difference. And I really hope this was valuable for you today. That's why I put this out there. I've done all this research. I have it in my head. I wrote down a bunch of notes I wanted to share with you. But if it can if it can expose you to even one new idea or one new method or one new option or give you the confidence to speak out with a doctor or seek out another opinion, which I highly recommend doing no matter what health affliction ails you, I think I've done my job in this episode. So I hope you found it valuable. It means so much to me to be able to share with you and have this forum for discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. And I'll see you again for the next episode in this series where we'll talk more specifically about trying to conceive, uh, miscarriage, abortion, and that side of the fertility, let's say fertility discussion. So thanks again and see you soon.